This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. The Kinescope Initiative Episode 126 A Sitcom Review in Chronological Order From the SFPP and Television Center, take it away, Mark. Thank you, Announcer Bod, and welcome to the Kinescope Initiative, a sitcom review in chronological order. Moving on to 1985, new cable networks, VH1 and Nick at Night, NBC moves to satellite transmission, which means the end of the GEC chimes to tell the stations to go to the network feed. Cap Cities announces it will buy ABC. It would take a year to be finalized. News Corp and 20th Century Fox announce plans to purchase Metro Media's TV stations, which would eventually lead to the Fox network. The WWF, now WWE, telecast WrestleMania for the first time via pay-per-view and closed circuit. As a series finale, much of the cast of Dynasty is shot by revolutionaries during a wedding ceremony. David Letterman interrupts a primetime Today Show special with a bullhorn shouting, My name is Larry Grossman, president of NBC News. This primetime special was my idea. And I'm not wearing pants. After running only 24 episodes over and over for more than 20 years, new episodes of The Jetsons are produced. The first Farm Aid concert is held, syndicated and on the Nashville network. Legendary announcer Johnny Olson announces his final episode of The Price is Right, dying that year. Lorne Michaels returns to the helm of SNL and is still there. Elmo makes his first appearance on Sesame Street, which also broadcast its 2000th episode that year. Non-sitcom debuts, Moonlighting, Double Dare, Larry King Live, The Equalizer, which just got a reboot, MacGyver, and Misfits of Science. Sarah premiered on NBC on January 13, 1985, at 9.30 p.m. Not the 1976 TV western starring Brenda Vaccaro, but a vehicle for a young Gina Davis, who had guested or recurred on multiple sitcoms at that point. Here she plays a San Francisco lawyer who shares a storefront office with three other newbies, Rosalind, Alfre Woodard, Marty, Bill Maher, and Dennis Bronson Pinchot. Ronnie Claire Edwards played the office secretary and Mark Hudson, her neighbor. Now, we covered Gina Davis on episode 116 for Buffalo Bill, and we'll talk about Bronson Pinchot when we get to his much better known series. Alfre Woodard started work on the stage, moving to L.A. in 1976. She was warned it was very difficult for black actresses to get any significant work, so she continued stage work there. TV movies and films Remember My Name and Cross Creek with an Oscar nomination followed. She got a recurring role on Tucker's Witch and her stage role in For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide slash When the Rainbow is Enough was televised on PBS. 
a run on St. Elsewhere transitioned to a long film career. Extremities, Scrooge, Grand Canyon, Passion Fish, Crooklyn, Star Trek First Contact, Mumford, Love and Basketball, The Core, Twelve Years a Slave, Annabelle, and Captain America Civil War. She returned to TV series in the 2000s, Desperate Housewives, My Own Worst Enemy, Black Panther doing voice work, Three Rivers, Memphis Beat, True Blood, Copper, State of Affairs, Luke Cage, and C. She's won four Emmys, all for TV movies or guest roles, out of 18 nominations so far, along with a Golden Globe. Bill Maher started as a stand-up and then got into acting in the film DC Cab with Sarah after that. Genre films such as Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death followed. He did some guest spots and had a role on the series Charlie Hoover. By that point, he started to play himself in films and guest TV spots because of his other job, the producer and host of Politically Incorrect, a comedy panel news show. This lasted into the early 2000s when he moved the concept to HBO and called it Real Time with Bill Maher, which is still on the air. He continues to do stand-up specials. Ronnie Claire Edwards is best known for her work on The Waltons, playing the storekeeper's wife. She also had regular or recurring runs on Boone, Just in Time, The Torkelsons, and appeared in the film The Deadpool. Mark Hudson is far better known as a musician and producer. He started as part of a music comedy team with his two brothers, the Hudson Brothers, which was kind of a kiddie version of the Monkees. He co-wrote 12 of Aerosmith's songs and produced Ringo Starr's career in the late 90s and 2000s. He's done composing work for reality TV and appeared on a few himself, as well as the soundtracks for Gremlins and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Apart from a few guest spots, Sarah was his only acting work. His older brother was married to Goldie Hawn at one point, so he is Kate Hudson's uncle. Sarah had a lot going for it. A personable lead, a cast of up-and-coming actors who would go on to big things, as well as talent behind the scenes. Gary David Goldberg, Family Ties, and Meryl Marco, Letterman's head writer, were the producers. Unfortunately, it also had Dynasty as competition at the height of its popularity. Sarah lasted all of 13 episodes. I watched an episode on YouTube. The opening is 80s generic soft jazz and lyrics and has a Mary Tyler Moore vibe. Pinchot plays an out gay character, a rarity at the time. The receptionist is wacky, as you would expect. Mar is smarmy, big surprise, kind of a proto-Dan Fielding. Somehow we're supposed to believe that Gina Davis has trouble getting dates. This is a show that should have run for years, but it might have left Davis as a television actor. Streets on the China never mattered before. Who cares when you drop kicked your jacket as you came through the door? No one glares, but sometimes things get turned around and no one spared. All hands look out below. There's a change in the status quo. Gonna need all the help that we can get. Mr. Belvedere premiered on ABC on March 15, 1985, at 8.30 p.m., based on a 1940s novel which was originally adapted as the film Sitting Pretty 
earning Clifton Webb an Oscar nom with two sequel films. Christopher Hewitt plays the title character, an English butler who takes a job with an American family. George, the head of the family, Bob Euchre, his wife Marcia, Eileen Graff, teenage son Kevin, Rob Stone, tween daughter Heather, Tracy Wells, and young son Wesley, Bryce Beckham. Belvedere spends his time keeping the house in order and dispensing wisdom. Now, we covered Eileen Graff in episode 107 for Lewis and Clark. Christopher Hewitt was born in the U.K. and joined the Royal Air Force at 16. Later, he got involved in stage work, first on the West End and later on Broadway. The original My Fair Lady, the original Unsinkable Molly Brown, Keen, Sleuth, a Peter Pan revival, and was also a director and producer. He also did early live TV dramas, along with films The Lavender Hill Mob and The Producers as Roger Debris. On TV, he was a regular on Ivan the Terrible and Fantasy Island, replacing Tattoo as Work's sidekick in the last season, all before Mr. Belvedere. He only made two other appearances before passing away in 2001. Bob Euchre fell into an acting career. Named Mr. Baseball by Johnny Carson, Euchre played pro ball at various levels in the 50s and 60s. In 1971, he began calling play-by-play for his home team, the Milwaukee Brewers, and is still doing so, despite not signing a formal contract until this year, which he did to get health insurance. He also did color commentator work for ABC in the 70s and NBC in the 90s. He's hosted two syndicated TV shows and appeared on Carson 100 times based on his humor. In the 80s, Euchre appeared in a series of commercials for Miller Lite, as well as cameo appearances in films Fatal Instinct and the Major League Trilogy. Just a bit outside. However, his only major acting role is on Mr. Belvedere. Rob Stone began acting at age 13, but only had guest roles apart from Mr. Belvedere. One year into that series, he started a documentary production company and continues to make them. He won a Cable Ace Award for a Blue Angels documentary. Tracy Wells appeared in the film Gremlins, her first acting role, and did a few guest TV roles and TV movies. Today, she's a realtor. Bryce Beckham started work in radio commercials and got on screen in an episode of Alice. He was a regular or recurred on I Hate My 30s and Hug It Out. Mr. Belvedere did well for ABC, although it never cracked the top 30 in six seasons. The show's source material actually had three failed pilots going back decades, 1956 with Reginald Gardner, 1959 with Hans Conried, and 1965 with Victor Buono. Mr. Belvedere was set in Pittsburgh despite the fact that the creators had never been there. They used a Pittsburgh promotional calendar for early story ideas. Each episode ends with Belvedere writing a letter. The series won an Emmy for lighting, and was parodied on Futurama and Family Guy. It's been syndicated on the American Life Network, Family Net, Rural TV, and Antenna TV. The syndication package includes eight episodes excluded from the original airings, mostly from the final season when it was moved to Saturday night and quickly died off. Only the first four seasons were ever produced on DVD, and it's not available officially for streaming. I found an episode on Daily Motion. The theme, with Leon Redbone's vocals, is rather goofy. The parents leave on a trip, leaving Belvedere in charge of the kids. At one point, he wears an ice bag on his head like it's 1930. 
Angie's Donna Pascal plays a skanky massage therapist, which tells you how far she fell. <laughs> Off the Rack premiered on ABC on March 15, 1985 at 9.30 p.m. L.A. garment factory owner Sam, Ed Asner, sees his longtime business partner pass away only for his widow, Kate Eileen Brennan, to take over. As the complete directory to primetime network and cable shows puts it, lots of yelling ensued. Claudia Wells and Corey Yothers play Kate's kids, Pamela Brule, Dennis Haysbert, and Sandy Simpson play co-workers. Of course, we covered Ed Asner in episode 56 for The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Eileen Brennan in episode 95 for 13 Queens Boulevard, and Claudia Wells in episode 108 for Herbie the Love Bug. Corey Yothers is the brother of Tina from Family Ties. He appeared in the film Dreamscape and did a number of TV guest roles, but this was his only regular role. Pamela Brule starred in Broadway's Accomplice and was a regular or recurred on The Secret Empire, which was part of a late 70s NBC experiment doing old movie serials as a TV show, Days of Our Lives, Growing Pains, Malloy, and appeared in the film The Philadelphia Experiment. Dennis Haysbert is unrecognizable in his off-the-rack role once you hear what he's best known for, the long-running Allstate insurance guy. He studied at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts starting in TV guest roles in the late 70s on Lou Grant to start. He's been a regular or recurred on Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, Code Red, The Young and the Restless, Just the Ten of Us, Return to Lonesome Dove, Now and Again, 24, The Unit, Backstrom, Undercover, Incorporated, Reverie, Lucifer, with voice work on Superman the Animated Series, Static Shock, Justice League, Call of Duty, Splinter Cell, Kung Fu Panda 2, Wreck-It Ralph, Mr. Peabody and Sherman, and a ton of TV guest roles. Films include Major League, Far From Heaven, Sin City, and The Dark Tower. Sandy Simpson may be best known for his role in the 1980s V sci-fi miniseries. He recurred or was a regular on The Paper Chase, Generations, and Santa Barbara. Off the Rack actually premiered as a pilot in late 1984 and was based in New York. To reduce cost, the series was moved to L.A. It wasn't worth the effort. It only lasted six episodes. The series initially forced Claudia Wells to turn down the role in Back to the Future. Its quick cancellation freed her up. Could only find the opening theme and a clip online. The theme sounds like a local afternoon talk show. Asner is gruff and Brennan is bossy. The Lucy Arnaz Show premiered on CBS on April 2, 1985 at 8 p.m. 
Getting Lucille Ball's daughter to do a sitcom should have been a slam dunk. Lucy's show is based on a UK series called Agony involving a radio psychologist, kind of a proto-Fraser. Karen Jablons Alexander plays her secretary, Todd Waring her producer, Lee Bryant her older sister, and Tony Roberts her boss. We covered Tony Roberts in episode 120 for the four seasons. Lucy Arnaz spent her early career being Lucy's daughter, moving from cameos on The Lucy Show to a regular role on its sequel, Here's Lucy, along with brother Desi Jr. By the 1970s, she got out from under her mom, doing films such as Billy Jack Goes to Washington and The Jazz Singer with a Golden Globe nomination, along with TV guest roles and TV movies. She would follow up her eponymous series with Sons and Daughters, later winning an Emmy for a documentary about her parents. Arnez has spent a lot of time on Broadway, they're playing our song, with a theater award win, Lost in Yonkers, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and Pippin. Todd Waring may be best known for taking over the Tom Hanks part twice in TV versions of Nothing in Common and Splash. He reoccurred or was a regular on NYPD Blue, In Gale We Trust, The Young and the Restless, Chasing Life, and the film Love and Murder. Lee Bryant may be best known for a cameo role as a panicked passenger in the airplane films. I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here. Get hold of yourself. Stewardess, I'll take care of this. Get a hold of yourself. She recurred on T.J. Hooker with a lot of TV guest spots and the films The Good Shepherd and Friends with Kids. Despite the talent involved with Sam Denoff, the Dick Van Dyke show as creator, the series lasted all of six episodes. In a rarity for sitcoms at that point, the show was shot with a single camera. According to a later Arnez interview, the cast, apart from herself and the secretary, were completely replaced after the pilot, and the title Agony became the eponymous name for the show. Arnez became pregnant after the pilot, so production was sped up. They also did the TV trope of hiding her growing belly behind sweaters and desks. Found an episode on YouTube, but it had no sound. I did find the opening theme, which could have been used in an 80s detective series. More of 1985 sitcoms in our next episode. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Well, I'm filing this episode in the archive. Tune in next time. <laughs>